You are listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of A Lavish Tale by R.M. Hicks. Performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson. Part 2 For a long time, nobody knew Lavish had a tumult. He maintained her secrecy, guarding her zealously. He only looked upon her in private, fearing the envy of the public should they learn. Her beauty captivated him, and to touch her warmed him. She reached out to him, comforted him, and encouraged him. It took him many seasons to learn to use her, to allow his own emotions to channel into her and fuel her power. Her electric crackle spoke of eagerness and ambition. Her strength, prevalent in the brilliance of her flair, inspired a passion and yearning. And, as with any true love, they bonded. They connected empathetically, their triumphs and sorrows riding on a flood of shared imagery. Only in secret did he take her out to look at her. He'd marvel, and she'd glow a dull gleam of blue. They would share their memories. They were full of tragedies. He'd weep, and she'd glow a tense, luminous white. Lavish awoke with the afterglow of tumult lingering in his pupils. When the image faded, there was only darkness and vague outlines of silhouettes upon silhouettes. Where was Tumult? She responded by providing a comforting blue aura. He still held her, though he could not feel his hand grasping her. His head throbbed. Each pulse of blood was like a drumstick's rap. Nausea and hunger urged him to just curl up, but he was still strapped in his saddle. He felt himself rocking and swaying gently. Was he on water? He tried to speak, but couldn't. His whole right side appeared to be locked up. Tumult had maintained a current. He willed her to stop, and she slipped from his numb hand. Fool! He panicked, fearing she might descend into the depths and would have shouted, but could not find his voice. He heard her clatter on stone and sighed in relief. The rocking motion must be Wonderhorn's breathing. His helm stank of sweat. Pulling open the full-faced visor, cold night air splashed upon his face. Thick gloves and soreness made him struggle with the buckles that kept him strapped in. Freed, he slid down Wonderhorn's neck and crumpled up on the floor. Stiff joints and weakness in his muscles made it feel as though a hundred years had snuck up on him. Tumult twinkled under the starlight, and the moment he picked her up, a word squirmed through his headache and into the forefront of his thoughts. Down. Down? He muttered through a parched mouth, not understanding how the word forced itself upon him or what it even meant. As he looked about and his eyes began to distinguish differing degrees of blue in the darkness, he noticed the nearby outline of a tall spire 
silhouetted against the night sky. He was on top of Bavora Tower and facing one of its turrets. First things first, he said to himself, or to Tumult. He wasn't exactly sure, then climbed up Wonderhorn's neck to fetch a saddlebag. There was a smell about the eagle, one of ash and dryness. He retrieved a large leather pouch, eased it down to the floor, slid back down, cradling a hefty waterskin in his arms. He splashed water over his face, drank a few mouthfuls, and the rest he gave to Wonderhorn. Inside the pouch, Lavish pulled out several items, a doe-skin roll of smoked venison, a latched wood box with medicines, and a sealed wooden tube. The lid of the tube easily popped open. It contained a velvet sack, and from it he poured a silver chain and a pendant into his hand. After a few awkward minutes of humming, he finally got the pitch of his voice just right, and the pendant emitted a pink light. The pendant didn't really have a source of light. It was more of a pink luminous bubble that surrounded him and rested across the surface of the floor. He inspected Wonderhorn's seared head and touched the crisp, frizzled feathers. At the bald spots, he noticed blistered flesh. Oh, Wonderhorn. Lavish moaned sympathetically. I'm sorry, boy. Down, repeated the soundless voice. He disregarded it and continued his guilt-ridden inspection of his beloved friend. Blood had congealed in the groove between the beak and flesh. He looked up into Wonderhorn's glossy, dilated eye and heard the eagle wheeze from pain. Wonderhorn first, so we can leave when need be, Lavish said to Tumult, then realized that she had been sheathed. Was this the first time she'd communicated with him without being in direct physical contact? That is, of course, assuming it was her that even uttered the insistence. Words, after all, was not the means by which she previously communicated. He stood there wondering how far the connection went. How deep did the bond seed? How much of her seeped into him? Being here was her design, the dragon, her foe. Remembrance of the dragon stabbed him with fear. Lavish decided he had better hurry. He patted Wonderhorn on the beak, then prepared a hunk of venison with some glowing green jelly from the medicine box. It was the only thing not illuminated pink, and its formal name was a language spoken only by alchemists. For eagles only, as the jelly was known to cause permanent blindness in men with a mere lick. After feeding it to Wonderhorn, he prepared a little something for himself. Something to ease the stiffness, relieve his headache, and a little something else to keep him up and motivated. Sincerely, and with a firm strictness in his voice, Lavish said, Wonderhorn, if the dragon returns, leave. It is necessary and my command that you do so. You won't be blamed, and this is not your fault. Our purpose here is not something I understand. He knew the eagle understood him, but did not know if it would obey. Not even dogs are as loyal as eagles. Amulet in one hand, 
tumult in the other. Lavish passed through the arches of the spire-topped turret and descended into the tower. A set of stairs twisted down into a circular room void of furnishings, its ancient wooden floor creaking under his feet. Across from him, the night sky filtered in from a hole where a second turret had once been. He found another set of wooden stairs. He heard their brittleness with each step. Then he heard movement, shuffling, and the patter of claws. He peered suspiciously into the blackness outside the pink. He heard a loud groan from the step underneath. It broke, and so did the next and the next, and the whole set of stairs cascaded into a heap, leaving Lavish sprawled amongst the debris. Something tugged on his boot. Startled, Lavish yelped, kicked, and leaped to his feet, only to stumble on the broken steps and fell to his knees. The air stank. It was stale and thick with a stench similar to a kennel. On the cusp of the bubble, a rat-like tail, as thick as a man's leg, stirred the dust as it swept out of view. Movement and sound came from all around, scuttling, claws tapping, and squeals. He saw a large face, vermin-like, mangy, without eyes, not even sockets. It had a bizarre, brain-shaped fungal growth on top of its head, and large, flimsy, veiny ears. Something grabbed him from behind and yanked him down. He grunted and slashed at it. Dozens of faces lurched toward him. Rats the size of dogs swarmed and engulfed him. One knocked his visor down and saved his face from being chewed off. Sharp needle-like teeth appeared in the eyeslits as the vermin nibbled at the helm, ravenous for the fresh meat wrapped inside. Lavish tried to kick and twist, Tumult cut them with each touch, but their weight kept him pinned, and she did not deter their hunger. They chewed most of the leather from his legs and arms. Their teeth pricked him at his skin. He thrashed frantically. Teeth grabbed hold of exposed flesh on his thigh and tore it away. Tumult! He screamed in pain. She responded. A razor honed to whole new degrees of sharpness by the steady current of electricity. She carved through hide and organ and bone, and she met no resistance. He swung her in wide arcs, slaying groups of vermin in a single stroke. The tower became a raucous concert of eating, lapping, and the occasional scratch of teeth on bone as the vermin cannibalized their dead. Lavish broke free and found his way to a wall and put his back against it. His tabard was shredded. Smeared blood blackened his breastplate and helm, and his boots and gloves were heavy from the grotesque saturation of it. The room's stale air became rancid with the hot reek of bowels and blood. Lavish gagged, lifted his visor, and vomited. Mostly bile, and a few chunks of venison. Rats will probably eat that, too. Even in this lake's shallow depths, the sonic death screams of the tower's vermin are softened into murmurs. They are hideous beasts, quite seemly indeed. But when they sleep, they dream, 
And when they dream, they sing. It is like bird song. Simple, unmelodious, and soothing. Almost as soothing as the deep trenches of this lake. This is why so many of my ilk choose to hibernate in its fathoms. The blackness, the pressure, the melancholy groan of the world's foundations, they are a sublime comfort. I was asleep, my consciousness having succumbed to the pain. The vermin have awakened me, and now I wonder about your motives, your ambitions. I assumed you had come to torment me, and that completed, I thought you would leave. You have not, and your host still lives. A discharge of the magnitude it took to sunder one such as myself should have expelled all the life force out of him. The static should have at the very least incinerated his tiny brain. Well, that's what you did to my necromancers anyway. But do you think I am slain? Do you think me dead and the tower is now for your pilfering? I doubt it. Do you think me, wounded, bleeding, recovering in the tower's cellar? Unlikely. My wealth? Maybe. The throne? Perhaps. Beware, tumult. There is a wickedness in my tower, fouler than the rats. Steal some treasures, sit on the throne, but don't stay long and venture no further. If you find her, I will rise. I will borrow from the earth to exterminate your honorable host. And you don't want to have to spend an eternity here with me. A delicate metal railing encircled a void, the great hollow of Bavora Tower. Lavish leaned out over it and felt the suck of gravity tug from the well of the tower's belly, and as he peered down into the black, into that absence, he wondered what other terrors awaited. Tired and wounded, he did not want to continue, and decided it was time to saddle Wonderhorn and leave. Tumult locked up his whole body. His heart raced. His breathing stopped. She had total control of him, had meshed with him entirely, and she insisted on going down. Dizziness followed her release. He reluctantly complied to her demands and found steps made of metal with a brocade of vines and fan-shaped leaves. Tentatively, he tested the steps, and their stability satisfied him. There are thirty-six differing tales, immortalizing my beloved Aveline. I know them all, word for word, from the beautiful ballads to the elegant epics. I know them all, for they are all of my creation. I sing them to my harpies who relate the arias over the ocean. The notes resonate in sailors' heads, their unconscious minds comprehending what their timid ears cannot. And each tale has only fragments of the truth. I like to be the villain. In the stories, I am scandalous, craven, 
evil. But when we met, I was not. I was abandoning my role in a catastrophic past and striving towards new ambitions. Our relationship was mutual. Aveline sensed and wanted exposure to the power hidden underneath my human guise. I wanted whatever it was that was happening. It was something wonderful. Aveline had a guardian, a fairy. The fairy loathed my kind. The curse, it is the fairy's fault. The evil that followed, the destruction from my hand, it is the fairy's fault. Someday I will find this fairy and will no longer be bound to Aveline, to this tower or this wretched island. Lavished and Moore's legs had gone wobbly from fatigue and the weight of armor. Still, the bottom was nowhere to be seen. Only blackness, both vast and close. The tower didn't seem quite as big from the back of Wonderhorn. The rats followed him. More accurately, they followed the dribble and puddles of blood that sponged out his boots. Their squeals and claws that clicked on the metal steps filled out the absence. At last, the steps ended at a smooth stone floor. Yet, disappointingly, the hollow continued into further darkness. Another set of stairs, these made of marble, twisted away from the wall. Elaborate stone railings secured either side of the steps, and he noticed the frieze of their decor was of fish, squids, and exotic water creatures. About two dozen steps later, he saw a pair of pillars whose walls were sculpted into tentacles. He found a floor. It was made of gold coins. Oh, tumult. Is this what we came for? Is this what you sought? Lavish exclaimed and could not contain the glee from lacing his words. He was neither greedy nor hungry for loot, but the wealth accumulated here was exhilarating to behold. Piles of coins formed chest-high swells. Weapons, armor, statues, and vases lay partially buried in those swells like villages consumed by desert sands. Outside the pink bubble, the darkness of the room lightened from a subtle illumination originating from the other end, where stood a prominent cluster of silvery stalactites. Lavish stared, mouth agape, the amulet falling from his hands as he strode as quickly as his legs could carry him through those shifting hills of coins. He stumbled over some sort of fountain laid on its side, and the dust tickled his nose. He swam through the coins like a man struggling in quicksand and tumbled out of their swell onto a soft padded carpet. On his hands and knees, staring at the stalactites, he realized they were spires around the back and sides of a pure white throne. The base of the throne and its high back were fluted, the embellishments giving the throne an oddly skeletal appearance. Its luster was of ivory, not metal. The throne radiated a warmth, soothing like bathwater. It radiated energy. Lavish felt it, and he was no adept. He stayed there on his hands and knees, gawking at the throne, 
left hand kneading the lush rug, the other tight around tumult. He thought of kings and lords stiffly positioned on their thrones of wood or stone, emblazoned with silver and gold. They were mere chairs compared to this. Lavish's imagination conjured dozens of opulent visions, all of them with him on the throne, relaxed and dignified, and tumult lying on a velveteen pillow whose colors and frills depended upon the sacred bear's masculinity or femininity, robed or armored. This carpet remained, but the treasures had been cleared out, revealing a tiled floor of glossy checkered marble panels. His mouth was dry, but he swallowed anyway. This is what you came for? This is what you want, isn't it? Was this your home? Were you once a queen? Queen Tumult, the beautiful queen of Bavora, with an electric smile and energetic charm. He held Tumult up before his blood-smeared face, wearing a weary, triumphant smile. In her, he sought confirmation. He found only a sense of anxiousness. It felt like the static buildup of wool, the way it tingled and tickled the hairs of his forearm. Was the dragon still alive? Did it still lurk here? Vivid recollections of sharp rows of teeth and its many beady eyes made Lavish shiver. The grinding of stone sent his hairs on end. He quickly scanned the darkness, guessing at the sound's location. At the end of the carpet, just past its tassels, a faint line of light appeared. The carpet bunched up as a marble panel lifted out of its place, and a dim blue light expanded. Lavish stepped cautiously away from the gathering carpet. The panel stopped, and the soft, renting light shifted. He stepped forward, hesitantly, sword at the ready. Horns appeared, gnarled, ribbed, stout and coiling in a goat-like spiral. Between them was a spiky tuft of hair, then a black nose, a dog's nose as big as an infant's head, sniffed and snorted. Lavish heard a saliva-wet growl. The horns and snout disappeared. Lavish gripped Tumult with both hands. Now their anxiety was the same. The horns and snout reappeared suddenly, along with the whole head and torso. Tight, muscular arms suspended it in the hole. It was wolfish with large, lemon-yellow eyes and a thick, bushy mane that ran all the way down the middle of its back. The hairs across its sinewy chest and narrow stomach were short and gray. Its vicious, hungry snarl echoed through the chamber. Tumult urged Lavish not to stall. He didn't. Lavish lunged forward, striking the fiend's arm before it could pull itself out. Tumult cleaved it off. The horns disappeared again, but the creature was fast. It grabbed Lavish's ankle and took him down the hole. The fall was a swift fourteen feet. The beast cushioned Lavish's collision enough to prevent injury, but it still knocked the wind out of him. Enraged with pain, the lupus fiend kicked Lavish with a strong hooved leg. He slid across the floor, lubricated by spurting blood, until a pillar abruptly halted him. 
Lavish glanced around at his surroundings. The room was lined with buttresses, and perched between them, on brick stools, slept apish stone gargoyles. Desperate gulps of air seemed blocked by the visor, so Lavish flipped it up, but it helped little. The beast bit hold of pauldrons and its teeth penetrated the metal. The nose was cold and wet against his cheek. It shook Lavish around like a doll. His feet banged harshly on the floor. Finally, the buckles and straps of the shoulder guard ripped. Lavish skidded and rolled to his knees. His breaths came harsh and ragged and with little air. Black spots full of stars splotched his vision. Teeth thunked against his helm, and with one swift jerk, it tore the visor away. The teeth lunged for his face. It ate tumult instead. At last, the air came as Lavish watched the vile fiend's dramatic death. The beast flung itself back and leaped into the ceiling several times before it crumpled down, supine on the floor, twitching while it bled a pool of slick brown that could have filled a trough. Lavish lay there on the hard floor, recovering and hallucinating. It was like looking through an oracle's crystal ball, the images clear, yet edged in a fog. He saw a balcony with a waist-high beige brick retaining wall. The sky was dark from heavy bulbous clouds brightened from lightning, lightning that streaked in jagged wedges down the front of the balcony. They strike, continuously, fervently, as if summoned. Next scene, dusty bird's eye of combatants slaughtering each other at the base of cliffs. In the blue sky, wyverns approached, marshaled by the dragon, its double pair of legs and arms distinct to lavish now. The dragon has a name, Karinko Raz. Tiers of crenellated brick walls atop the cliffs lined the right of his vision. The sky grew dark. The wyverns carry a package, ogres wielding double-bladed axes as big as mules. If the wyvern survives a hail of arrows, it drops the ogre off on the wall. Otherwise, ogres fall hard. Karinko Raz sears the wall with flame. Sometimes he gets a wyvern. Foolishly, he moves too close to the walls. Ballisti, which had been hidden until this moment, unleash a volley of sharp harpoons with tails of chain. For a moment, Karinko Raz looks like a puppet on black strings. He tugs and chains snap. Then the lightning strikes a flurry of angry bolts. It wrecked him and cast him upon the cliffs, cascading him into the armies. Flash of brilliance. New scene. Karinko Raz laid out like a fish on a slab. He's held down by large stone blocks connected to chains. Armored guards wielding tall pikes and heavy crossbows surround him. Sorcerers took turns punishing him with painful jolts of electricity. This punishment lasted day and night. People came from all around to watch. Next scene. 
a crisp white world of an alpine winter from the top floor of a hamlet. Tents of armies mixed amongst the clean snow like a rash. Atop a bristling green pine tree, a hideous little bat-winged fiend carries a roll of parchment. It's an imp, an emaciated, blackened, fetal-looking creature with insect eyes. The parchment said, Karinko Raz was free. It's from Karinko Raz. Lavish knew this, though he's ignorant of the language. Tumult will learn that goblin assassins and mercenaries rescued him. Sometime later, in the middle of the night, friends become enemies. She is betrayed, and Karinko Raz captures her. Yellow torchlight flickers over black hoods. The hoods bob rhythmically. They may be chanting. There was no sound. They may be human, or goblins, or even demons. They killed her slowly, bled her from the wrist and ankles. When the last breath lingered in her throat, the necromancers worked their magic and grabbed her consciousness, a transparent blue oval wrapped in electric tendrils. A sword, Lavish's sword, was enveloped in a cocoon of delicate silvery strands. It became bright, and he felt chilled. Next, a ceremony with a squat, scarred, wide-jawed orc. He's a chieftain who wears a headdress of red feathers and knife blades, a leather collar with bone spikes, and a lay of viper fangs. Wrapped in black silt, tumult was given to him. Tribal festivities now. Big bonfire. Hordes of naked painted orcs dancing, screaming, rattling weapons at the starlit sky. The chieftain stood on the backs of slaves. He held tumult to the stars, but she is not his. She is her own. She incinerated him in a blast of hot white. The hallucinations end. The room had no visible source of light, though its soft illuminations seemed brighter in the center, where it enveloped a four-poster bed. Lavish approached the bed apprehensively, making cautious glances at the stone-sculpted demons crouched and catatonic on their pedestals. Master sculptors chiseled the bed out of a solid block of green and red banded onyx. A shallow translucency clung to the smooth, polished surface. Sheer sheets of white silk filled the gaps between glossy posts. A sturdy chair faced the bed. Its red velvet upholstery on the arms and seat were worn to a smooth sheen. The gossamer curtains were parted in front of the chair, and Lavish saw strands of hazel-brown hair spill over white pillows. Lavish used tumult to widen the part. Her face was white, delicate, an artisan's perfect mask of alabaster with long tapered ears. Was she elven? A succubus? The dragon? No, definitely not, said intuition. But important to the dragon he knew, the chair somehow confirmed that. 
the chair and her slightly gaunt face of high, rounded cheeks and deep-set eyes induced some distant notion of tragedy. He felt the loneliness, real as cold, as if time and brooding somehow saturated the air. You? Tumult? No. Her body was slain. She had shown him that. Who? Recollections of fairy tales lofted to the forefront of his thoughts. The Eternal Dreamer, a princess named Aveline, cursed to sleep by a jealous sorcerer. He thought the tale through, but couldn't remember how it ended. Happily? Tragically? How did it end? Lavish realized he held Tumult by both hands. The hilt pointed at his head. The blade tip poised inches above Aveline. He heard the sound of stone crack and slide against itself. He heard the thud and felt the rumble of the ground as the gargoyles awoke. How did it end? Tumult glowed blue. Crisp lines of white rippled up the blade. She urged him to plunge her, to impale Aveline through the heart. Stop! He seethed the words, his jaw clenched by the electric charge she channeled to control his muscles. No! Don't! He fought, resisted. Not with my hand! Sorry. The world glared with pure brilliance as Tumult exploded. The drain that she stole from Lavish robbed him of his senses. The gargoyles pinned him. Their solid granite bodies were the weight of boulders. They crushed his limbs, and he didn't even feel it. They pecked the metal knobs off the sleeves of his arms and legs. They slid the bent gold feathers on his helm through their stone lips straightening them out like a pruning bird. They poked holes in the breastplate and peeled it away. They froze and craned their heads up when the tower began to shudder. For a moment, as brief as a butterfly's flutter, Lavish Dunmore saw himself lying there, beaten, bloodied, and hapless. He was dead. He was dreaming. He felt her more keenly and lively as ever before. He was aware for the first time that the bond with Tumult went both ways. A sliver of his essence was a part of her. It may not be in the fullness and richness of reality, but they were together in a new way. He was dreaming. And so would they be now, and forevermore. Underneath the lupus fiend, the stone floor steamed, turned to lava, and consumed the creature. The lava swirled, rose into a cone, then swelled into a pillar. It darkened, cooled, and became a man. He had a gladiator's physique and the mutilated torso of a dead man. Blood dripped openly from pits in his face. A large chunk of missing flesh painfully exposed the rounded, pearly joint of his shoulder. 
he looked at the pile of gargoyles and the man underneath them. He looked to the blackened bed. There were no more curtains, only shards of burnt blankets and the skeletal remains of Aveline. Did she know? Did Tumult know what she had done? The knight laughed. It was cynical, triumphant, and shrill. It was feminine. No! Bellowed Korinko Roz. His wounds steamed. The air turned to flame, and an inferno engulfed the room. Gargoyles screamed a mute agony as their hides seared, reddened, swelled, and cracked apart. Though made of unfeeling stone, their conscious manifestation therein was an animal's essence, and it knew it was dying. Lavished and more turned to ash, and never felt a thing, for he was already gone. Little flames licked across the surface of charred stone. Tiny particles of embers twinkled through the air. In a pile of blackened granite chunks and thick soot, tumult glowed. Korinko Roz picked her up with his left hand. The right was limp and useless. He held her before him, his wounded visage blatant on her mirrored surface. You believe you have imprisoned me the way I have imprisoned you? His words were calm and assured, though the anger grating in his throat made it sound as if several large men spoke all at once. Smugly, he added, I think not. Clearly, acutely, in his head, he heard Tumult's voice. Liar! Then she laughed, <laughs> cynically, triumphantly. He wanted to destroy her, but he couldn't. He wanted to bend her, break her. He tried, but he couldn't. He hurled her into the throne room where she ricocheted off pillars and walls, scattering treasures and coins. In the quiet, following the echoes of her din, her laughter faded away. The great eagle limped along the airy currents of a stormy early morning and stumbled onto the platform of the aviary, its wounds apparent to all the retainers, causing them to gasp. The empty saddle turned their gasps into whispers of intrigue. Was Sir Lavishton Moore wounded and stranded? Was he captured and imprisoned? Was he dead? A bucket-sized tear fell from Wonderhorn's eyes and splashed upon the cold stone deck. It was grief. The avian master knew Lavish was dead. Such was the eagle's despair, as potent as a mother's to a beloved child, that the eagle would never again accept another companion. He knew this. Yet all else was mystery. And would remain so. This concludes the Auditory Entertainment's production of A Lavish Tale by R.M. Hicks Performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson If you would like to see more of the author's work, 
please visit his webpage at vermilionroot.com. Thank you for listening.